Hello listener and welcome to episode 5 of Black and White Noise, Dunfermline Athletics official podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Michael Thomas. Hello. And by Jordan Burt, Fife's next great sports journalist. <laughs> What's your website, Jordan? Uh, www.jordanburtfootball.com Fantastic. And we're also joined by our very special guest today, completing the lineup, a man that's had four spells at the club, if my counting is correct. He's played for the Pars, captained them, scored 81 goals and 261 appearances, and is currently first team coach. The whole pod is delighted to welcome Stevie Crawford. Hi everybody. Uh, Stevie, like I said before, the bad news is, last time we spoke with someone at the club, they left two days later. <laughs> the good news is that they went to a new job and is probably getting paid much more money. So. <laughs> uh, and on that note, we should say thanks to John Potter, our last guest. Uh, if he did find time for us, even though he was poised to go to Sunderland, and we wish him all the best in your side way. Definitely. Uh, but out with the old and in with the new, Stevie, you're brought in very quickly after John's appointment. So how did that come about? Um, John had obviously had the discussion with both Alan and the chairman. And um, it was a late Thursday night that I spoke to, to Potsy and he said would uh, I be interested in speaking to Ross. Um, so I said definitely speak to him, we met up on the Friday morning and um, just sat down. It's the first time I'd spoken to Ross face to face and you know, well I haven't even spoken to him on, but like on the passing sometimes but um, and basically he was saying that Potts, you know, had the opportunity to go to Sunderland. Um, would I be interested in coming in and taking, you know, over Potsy's, Potsy's role? Um, basically, they needed something right away. Aye. And with me being out of job and that, so it wasn't like he was offering something concrete. It was important that I come in, seeing how I worked with Alan and Sandy. I knew Alan from the 21s and playing against him over my career, and Sandy had obviously played under it when he was coach at Dunfermline Abbey. Right enough. Um, so that's where we, where we were at. I spoke to the chairman, you know, we had a really good positive uh, conversation between the two of us and told them there and then that I would be in on Monday morning if Alan was happy with that and, you know, I'd give him time and an opportunity to speak to other candidates for the job. Uh, that's what I was going to ask because it was kind of introduced as a, an interim measure and then it was quite quickly after it, the language kind of changed and it was sort of, it seems like it's more permanent now. So is, is that where we are at the moment or are you still kind of... Yeah, no, I've officially signed... Um, it was short term to begin with, as I say, it was it's an important role when you're working with the youths. Aye. You know, that bridging them from academy football to I know it was twenties, but now reserve football and then the progression to the first team, but it's an important role at a football club. Mm. And Potts was, you know, I'm not just saying that he's he, he was fantastic at it. His mannerisms, he had a realism about what it was like to be a young a young man himself and Aye. the problems that come with that. Mm. Um but um, it's just something that you know when I've worked at Hearts and I've worked at Falkirk I was lucky to work with Stephen Presley like at Falkirk who showed him a massive interest in youths Alec Smith was sort of his mentor and Alec was, was great and having trust in young players then Robbie asked me to go along to Hearts and it was something that we carried there that you know they had the academy there and so it was, it was something I was actively involved in Aye. anyway um, as I say when it was put to me it was to give the club the best opportunity try and find the right person to come into that role and then you know enjoyed coming in got a relationship with Sandy and Alan right away and it came to the decision that would I take the would I take the, the role on um, people put two and two together and think that if Robbie Nielsen gets a job then I was going to go with him Aye. it is something that I've spoken about with Robbie to give him you know I want I had a number of great years working with Robbie but um, the attraction to come and work here at a club that I've got a lot of feelings for was too big and you can can't be picky and choosy when you're out of football as well. Aye. Um and basically, you know, it's a it's a rolling contract uh, where you work a, a minimum period of notice and likewise if the club decide to move me on um and I committed to the season because I, th- I thought it was only right a minimum for the season. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wasn't going to walk out and then say to the chairman and say, Alan, look that's something else has come up, I'm going to be away in December. Um, I didn't want the upheaval of like the kids, how that upset some and things like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Albeit some of them are probably happy for me to move on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, joking aside, it just I just it, it felt right. It felt right at the time. Um, had it been in our club, 
you know, it's just a feeling that you get in your stomach when somebody offers you a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just felt right. It felt right. Uh, so, first team coach, you, you take the reserves as well then? Well, it's the role is seen as sort of like, I'd say it's more reserve. Okay. You know, it's a reserve manager slash first team coach. Okay. So, because the squad, the size of the squad, the number of days a week that Alan has to get some of the younger boys across, and we all end up together anyway. Sure. So, so in that aspect, it's going to be like a reserve manager, and then on top of that, anything that I can help input towards the first team, I'm sure um, they've been great. They've, they've involved me in that side. They know I've got the experience from uh, having worked uh, under Robbie and Steve. Um, that I can hopefully add something from a different point of view. And um, Alan and have been great since I've come in. You know, one or two of the players, and sometimes it was Callum Higginbottom there when. He was there with Stevie Cross. Stevie Presley was there. But Hig- I don't Higgy was there, yeah. Higgy actually got his move down to Huddersfield um, on the back. He lost Higgy on deadline day to Huddersfield. Um, Higgy's Higgy, he's a great lad, uh, but you can imagine what he was like maybe nine years ago. I collected um, him for Falkirk. Out, out of that, Timmy was the one that stood out, but he seemed to play more of a kind of sitting in front of the back four, four role for, for Stevie Presley, if I remember. Uh, he, seemed to, he seemed to get a Probably for fair, but. We played, we played Higgy, we had Fareed um, up front, I'll go, I'll go. and he was scoring goals for fun for us to be fair, and we played with wide men that were getting crosses in, Higgy played that role in behind Aye. Fareed, so I he was mem- sort of more of a link-up player in terms of that. Um, but I remember him always being on the ball in the middle, he, yeah. d- he done great for us there. Uh, but anyway, I'll go back to for the folk listening, we're recording this the day after we just played Inverness, which was a very young side, so you must have been very proud last night watching them kind of equip themselves against what Jordan tells me was an experienced Inverness team. God, I'd pull my hands if I wasn't one of the loyal 64 that made the, the trip up there, but <laughs> uh, I did, they obviously equipped themselves very well. No, it's, it's a hard one for, you know, people don't see from the outside, Alan and Sandy, and even discussions with myself when we're involved in that, that People can turn around and see you're putting out a week inside. But the reality is you've you've got to try and bridge a gap between first team football and some of the young ones getting an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I, I Jane, I, I'm, I'm quite strong on this that not to the de- detrimental side of the competition, but or even the league, young players don't get a chance to learn their their apprenticeship anymore. Right. You know, we watch video analysis on the telly and it's brilliant the insight you get listening to guys like Gary Neville and your carriers Redknapps and Sunis, Henri's. It's, it's, it's brilliant, but the kids don't actually get to cross the white line now. People think they're going to be the, the final the final package, you know. And last night was brilliant going up to Inverness and seeing, you know, the, the first half I thought we'd we done great after maybe a five, ten minute spell and um, deserved to go on ahead. And then the second half was actually like it was backs against the wall. Aye. But you're at, you can see their the, the characters get tested. Aye. And at a spell when they changed and they brought on a couple of subs that were really positive, boys had first team experience. You had Spook, young Brandon Luke, who's playing out of position at left back. Aye. And he had a wee dodgy five minutes because the boy Walsh come on and he was being aggressive and getting at him and hitting shots. And sometimes you can wonder as a player, he gathered his cell and stood up to it Aye. never done everything right on the night but he'll have learned from it and that was the pleasing thing last night mm. you know young Callum Smith playing out in the right his preferred positions through the middle mm-hmm. Andy Ryan playing up through the middle self leading the line and Callum had the desire to get for the halfway line for the good bit of football for Spook into Higgy uh, Aidan Collin wins it it goes to Spook through to Higgy quality for Higgy to find Andy Ryan and then the composure to slide the ball across so a lot of positives for last night against an Inverness team that did make changes, Aye. but it was guys with experience, so, you know, the journey, travelling up on the day, having to look after ourselves properly, and sort of lived with the, the pressure that young boys were going to get asked to go and perform in a competition that mattered, mm-hmm. so a lot of positives from it. Aye. Uh, Jordan was very impressed by the hotel you were staying at as well, either. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to a five-star hotel before. I was saying to the guys that, you know, you went with a pre-match meal and that obviously you've got your five-star chicken and your five-star pasta, but everybody was going for the toast. I don't know what five-star toast tastes like, but, you know, you know I mean, it must be brilliant. It's something like, I think over the years that, you know, football clubs use certain things, most, more knows better and most, they know financially certain hotels put on... 
packages and that for the boys, eh? So it's chicken, fish and beans and that, <laughs> that, that'll never change in football, I don't think. But, um, you know, even that, you're saying that, but he's going up and preparing, having pre-match and things like that. You know, a lot of clubs, sometimes expensive, can't afford that every game. But I just thought it was great watch me watching the younger boys and you're looking for how they're handling themselves amongst your Higgies and Aidan Connolly and Andy Ryan, mm-hmm. the guys with a bit more experience. Aye. But um, it's always pleasing coming back down the road with a victory as well. But it's, had that game finished 1-1, it went to penalty kicks, I'm sure Alan and Sandy, yes, would have been disappointed with the result. But, it, you know, there were positives, to, more positives than negatives to take from it. Aye, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the good thing is as well, it's the hearts coming up. There was a bit of letdown for Saturday mm. as well, so I think it's perked up the, the whole club and just in the ticket office there as well. The tickets are, are turning over for Saturday now as well. So it's nice to go in that, regardless of the competition on the back a good result. Mm. Also good uh don't know how much you've seen of Tommy Beadling, but you know, he, he came in last year. Who's this boy for Sunderland? You know, he came in at a hard time for the club because the results weren't great and he, he slotted well, looked really, really good and kinda got injured. Uh, it was quite a big coup to get him back, but it's good that he's got a, an, hour, was an hour under his belt that Tommy Beadling mm-hmm. got. Uh, so obviously it's another option for the, the first team, I'm guessing. Right, well, Tom's obviously the injury was, you've got to be a wee bit cautious, so we don't force him in, get, try and get too many minutes under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but last night, after, he played centre-half last night, he helped young Stuart Morrison. Well, I'm saying young Stuart Morrison, Stuart was one of the more experienced ones last night. I seen a bit of Tom last year, you know, having been at a job for last January, I seen Dunfermline a few times right. and the, the the night that he's played Livingston here, um yes. chucking it down with uh-huh. mm-hmm. um coldish night and the, the bit that stuck out to me with Tom because I'd seen results had started to to improve and I think Alan had done well in the, the transfer window to be honest. Aye. You know, the ones that added to the squad so results picked up from that. But Tom played his part in that, and that night, you know, I was sitting up watching it with my dad, and in the second half, and he, he's just stretched, working across the middle of the park, and he went to cut a ball out or something, and you could see that he'd, like, whether it was a tweak in the groin or something, I don't know, I've never spoke to him about it, but I think on that night, or another type of player, they would have put their hand up and just went, right, that's enough for me tonight. <laughs> but he sort of hobbled about for a wee bit, and it was like, no, I'm going to see... You know, so like he's got he's got a mentality. To, sometimes a guy playing in under twenty three football in England, they've not got that grit and determination. Right. But Tom's definitely got that, and you can see it. The fact that he's wanted to come back to the club is positive, and it's great that you know he wanted to come back mm-hmm. because it shows he wants to play first team football. Right. And then um, you know, just hopefully he comes through sixty minutes last night. If he can continue to get minutes under his belt, it'll be, it'll be an addition to us that that they look forward to getting back. The one that stood out for me, it was the when the firm beat Falkirk. I mean, it would stand out anyway. But when we beat them at the, the Falkirk Stadium, he was playing in centre midfield, and uh, yeah, he was pressing all the time. Mm-hmm. Had some engine on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of been even the the, the Dundee game the, and the, the League Cup. That was something that was really, really noticeable. They were really a big pressing team, a lot of energy about mm-hmm. the, the squad and and Beatles that are certainly one of the cogs in the wheel for that you sort of when you go back I think again the team that teams are played and when it's not his only like good thing in no, him, no. but like it, it, it rubs off on people and he makes, Gary Mason had that influence on their team mm-hmm. when we played years ago you know Gary Mason like as he as he got older he got better on the ball and made better decisions on Tom's decent pass of the ball and that as well, but he just, you know, you can see that he wants to win games of football. That's mm-hmm. what I, I, that was my take anyway when I seen him last year. Yeah. I've obviously been limited to what I've seen this year Aye. with him, but I'm, I'm sure that's like the mentality he'll bring into the restroom. So it'll be, you know, one that I'm sure the gaffer will be quite keen to get back for as soon as possible. Competition for places, uh, especially when like, we've had the first blip of the season at the weekend there against Ross County. As we always, you know, if you're, you're a fan, you go on internet forums, uh, you know, it's a bit of a knee jerk reaction, shall we say. But <laughs> without going into the cliches, I thought it was a game of two halves. I, I, thought, the first, I thought the first half, I'm fair, were probably a better team. Oh, I yeah. Were, I thought we were unlucky. By to far the better, I thought. Yeah. Uh, but the, the second half, we just didn't seem to get going at all, which I suppose can happen, but I, I don't know. Probably not sophisticated enough to see if county change something, but you know it, it just seemed like at half time I was still reasonably confident. We we're saying that at half time. Yeah. Well, we were both convinced we'd win. 
especially after coming back against United the week before. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it just didn't seem to happen for us in the second half. I think from Saturday, you know, I agree. I, th- I thought we were the better side. We looked more dangerous. Ross County were sort of stepping up as a midfield and leaving gaps in behind and we're playing passes mm. and then getting it wide and we created a few chances. The hard thing to take from Saturday was, and we spoke about it as a group, was that we went in, get, we were getting beat 2-1 at mm-hmm. half-time from probably being the better side. Aye. Now, I, th- I think we were a better side when we went up to Tannadice without looking like we were going to maybe create as many chances or score goals in the first half. Mm. Alan changed it at half-time against Dundee United. You went with the two up front. On Saturday, we changed it because it just felt that like to try and get at them there, 2-1 up. And... You know, it didn't work. It didn't work for us. You know, but he's made a decision to try and, you know, sometimes I think you're better trying something Aye. to try and get back into the game. Yeah, yeah. I, was it the change that Al made? Uh, you know, it's easy. It's, people can look back and go, by the way, well, he's changed it. That's what was it. Or was it losing the third goal? And the third goal's the one that done us in because Aye. it's a set play, losing the marker and then the scoring. When it goes 3-1, they've got boys like Draper, Vigers, Gardai. Yeah. Boys that know the league, you know, Callum's was a decent player and mm. you've got Keith Watson at the back yeah, and those yeah. Marcus Fraser so they, they knew how to see the game out and it, it just like because I felt it myself watching it from up in the stand it can sometimes look like you know are the boys really getting after it are they showing the energy the enthusiasm as they did to try and get back into it at Tannadice and they were but it's just like Ross County I, I felt that they showed their experience Guys that had played at a higher level yeah, over a number of years. Just managed the sort of, game perfectly. Aye, managed the game, that's exactly the yeah. way I would describe it. And they're big lads as well. And have seen it over the course of a really, really good Dunfermline team. It's been a couple of goals behind. It goes back to front much quicker. It's just, just natural. Yeah. And Ross County weren't a team to uh, do that against at all. You know, they're, mm. they're, they're, the back four seems huge to me. But, mm. Mm. Saying, like, what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is. You can't be leaving yourself going in a, a goal down yeah. at half time every week, you know. So it's something like it's, we've played against two good sides in the league, Dundee United and Ross County. But yeah. it's going to be an exciting league. We all know that. Definitely, it's competitive, definitely. Yeah. and you know we've got to be making sure that we're going in, you know, either drawing or winning to then see what other teams then come and have to maybe open up against us. Because when it was an open game in the first half. I thought we had the edge on them, nah, you know. So it's that way where they've used their experience and their know-how. Can we put ourselves in a position that we are not having to rely on, on trying to get ourselves back in the game when we leave ourselves quite vulnerable yeah, yeah. to to boys getting done on the counter? I thought. But I'm lucky with that goal as well. I thought it looked to me like it took a big deflection, aye. like it was going wide. I thought. But the second one. The aye, the second aye. one, the one that yeah. put us behind. Aye. Yeah. Aye. So, and the first goals, first goals. You know, yeah. If, yeah. if we see a better goal than that this year at East End, which I hope we do, and now <laughs> if it's something black and white. Well, Clearly, Longridge's goal wasn't far behind. No, it was, was a great, great finish as well. Great finish, really. Like good composure to cut inside and then put it home, fire it home with his weaker foot. It's, it's often as well just mind being up at United, and you probably know our record against United in recent times as it is. Often played well and got a result, so you're 1 0 down at half time after they were never near, near a goal until they scored. Yeah. So you think, here we go again. And then Hippolyte had uh, the shot for about the halfway line, he almost yeah. cut the keeper out, and it was just that thing that kind of in front of the fans, got the yeah. fans going, and uh, the whole team seemed to spark off the back of it. He came onto a great game in the second mm-hmm. half against mm-hmm. United. Obviously, we got an equaliser quite quickly, and uh, the kind of whole momentum changed, but I. I, I that's why Saturday was maybe really quite disappointing because after winning other games in the League Cup and deservedly doing so, we deservedly won up at United as well. Maybe get the feeling that you're invincible, eh? And then, you know, you're bad down earth a wee bit. When... The thing is, uh, do you know, I'm not trying to say, oh, you accept a defeat, but the fact that you're talking in that way, I, I think that's exciting. And mm-hmm. if the fans are off you, I'd, I'd rather fans are feeling like that and the expectations were on the players and the management. Aye. You know, looking at that, then going into that game, saying, oh, we've maybe drawn at Tannadice and, you know, we've won two of the games in the League Cup. So, it's great. Th- Dunfermline should. Dunfermline's a big club. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with the expectations. And it's something that, like, the players, they have to handle that. Mm-hmm. And we have to prep them for that as coaches. And it's something I keep saying, you know, and I'm sure Pot's done it, that the younger players coming through, you're not just trying to make them a football player. Set, you can try and make a player for a certain... But don't get when they're going well, you know, you're getting up five and a half, six thousand people. Mm-hmm. So you've got to prepare them for that. Right. 
So players have to live with that, and it, if it didn't, if the second half just you know to try and find that spark for somewhere, you know they'll come across again. I'm convinced they'll come again uh, across a game like that again at some point in the season again. Mm. Can they use Saturday? To be the inspiration to think, right, what could I do different? Aye. You know, what, how can I stamp my authority in the game? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the well, world, I think there are Alan Sainz games in the summer, you know, they're younger. I think when you look at the squad throughout, they're, they're guys, I know Higgy's probably one of the more experienced ones, but they're guys in that squad now that they're at an age where, you know, they either want to try and get out of this league with them firmly or they maybe try to play well to try and get, you know, picked up by an art club somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. If that's the case, then fair play to them yeah, because yeah. it means if they're doing well, then Dunfermline's doing well. So, I'll buy about three clubs in the world are selling clubs. It's just the way <laughs> it's it true is. Though. And, and, it's true. and even sometimes there, it's you know, the Real Madrid come calling. <laughs> they tend to find a way, don't they? So, yeah, I, you know, it's, no. it, I think we all accept that as fans. I think 90% of fans accept that. Yeah. You know, that, you know it's, it's quite funny though when uh, the Callum and. Uh, uh, my man has decided to to move on to Ross yeah. County, so so it went it went from boys that we you need to keep them, and then we lose them, and then they weren't good enough to get us out. That's the joys of football, though, isn't it? As in, you know that that's why everybody loves football. Yeah. Because end of the day, one one day they're your hero, and the next minute you hate them. Eh? <laughs> and then they the come back and they're the thing is, I was always hated. So. Don't <laughs> <laughs> For most of us, you win it. <laughs> There's something about Dunfermline local boys, I think, playing for them as well. It's a wee bit more pressure sometimes. I think that was, but we'll touch upon that when we touch upon your own career. Uh, so anyway, the, kind of the signings since we made since the last podcast, we brought a few boys in, but uh, James Vincent came back to the club. And then we had the really exciting days when we had uh, about 2 came one day and yeah. Mel Hippolyte came the day after. Uh, two figures as well that, you know, but no, I don't know the divide opinion, but obviously Faisal was a big, big hero and he, he left for Dundee. Fair enough, he moved, moved up a couple of leagues to do so. Mm. And then Miles Hippolyte obviously did, done a bit of damage against us before playing for Falk. So, <laughs> uh, they, they all seem to have settled in reasonably well anyway. Probably League Cup probably helps that, you know, mm. scoring goals up against Peterhead and against Brecon and things like that. It's, you know, no disrespect to those teams, but, you know, scored 10 goals in the first then I'll break him was after Dundee wasn't it but yeah. mm-hmm. it was quite goals in the first three games uh, you know it, it helps him at the ground running but have, have they integrated and reintegrated back in the squad from what you can see yeah they have and you know they're decent they're decent lads the three that have come in Chase obviously ex- the experience of being here before mm-hmm. and Alan obviously Sandy were the management team then um, the wee man probably a bit frustrated since he's been up at Dundee, I've had a conversation with him and really looking forward to getting back and playing playing here at Dunfermline where he's, you know, he, he really enjoyed his time here. Um, the test for him is his championship level now as well. So yeah, there is, yeah. you know, he had a great season in League One for the club. Um, but I think already you can see, and he was a wee bit behind in terms of the pre-season that he'd had at Dundee, but... The thing I've, I love about him already is, you know, he's not only he's, he's clever, he's got good feet, he's got an eye for goal, but I think the wee man works his socks off, mm-hmm. and it's infect. I've told him it's it's actually infectious when you see him. He, he tried to play a, a wee square ball into James Cregan up at Brecon, and you know, there's nothing worse for the midfielder that's running by you to try and go into a ball, and then. The forward just stands there and you know puts his arms out and feels sorry for his cell and <laughs> they're breaking on your back four. But the wee man's reaction, he's, he's chased it down and ended up basically over at the right back position, put out for a throw in. And then he trots his cell and gets set. You know, for as much as he scored the two goals, you know, think I'm mental the fact that I used to play as a striker. No. But <laughs> the fact that he does that, then people will accept if the wee man misses a chance in front yeah, of the goal yeah. or that. He's his own. So he's confident, confidence then doesn't go from that because yeah. the boys trust him. The boys know he's got the work ethic and right. he's going to do that sort of side of the game, the dirty side of the game. So the wee man, as I say, I think he's here to try and, you know, one, start enjoying his football, two, you know, try and get the club into the league where he's just come from with mm-hmm. Dundee. So he's still got that burning ambition. Um, Miles is somebody that I've seen playing over the years with Livingston and Falkirk. Um, not seen too much of him, but I think he's somebody that maybe Alan 
and Sandy have tracked and when they've played against them I always felt that he's given them quite a difficult time right um, a guy that like on his day will cause anybody problems and it's trying to get a consistency in his game oh, he was, I think it's going to be four seasons in one day a wee bit like he was second half in the United it was, it was like having a different player mm-hmm. in the park mm-hmm. you know he like almost scored for the halfway line yeah then he's not making guys outside his foot and stuff like yeah. that. He was, no, he was heavily fantastic. involved in the equaliser as well, wasn't he? Yeah. I'm sure he was. I think he was. Was he? I think he did land. Early, I, I, he, he, he ran onto a ball and nodded it down with his head, and it didn't come direct for that, but we, uh, we, we built in, from there. Yeah. Involved in most stuff as well. Uh, I mean, you're speaking of wee men, so it brings us into Willow Flood, because he was. Uh, <laughs> Potts was extolling the virtues of Willow Flood and he was a sign that divided opinion and, and lasted nine days and went down to Bali and lasted three days there so <laughs> I, I don't know where this takes us but I was quite interested in seeing what he did but we signed James Vincent kind of on the, on the, the back of him going mm-hmm. so I don't suspect there's a, a way back from it Dunfermline I think with James obviously he's come in he was last transfer window in January yeah, was it was in January one, yeah. and he was another one along with Tom that he, you know, he stayed I, th- I thought he come in steadied the ship and then the club started winning games great character knows the game he knows the game inside out he does he sees a lot of like he can read situations and he, he, he covers ground that people maybe don't see because he's already anticipated it so you know he's for me he's going to be great in terms of he's interested in doing his coaching badge I know he's too young to Aye. To, he's still got to concentrate as a player but I think he'll rub off on the younger players once he settles in you know and yeah. the young players if they're going away and talking to him just even around about the place about their football he's, he'll be he'll be a great addition here yeah. but it's on the back of the, the Willow Flood the Willow Flood one basically I think I could come in and the wee man was away within a matter within a matter of days yeah. but I, I, again I go down it doesn't look great people can look at whatever if they look at it and say it doesn't look great in Dunfermline right it's obviously somebody that Alan and Sandy and the chairman wanted to bring to the club mm-hmm. and then something gets thrown at you that it's too good to, you know it's, yeah. you're not talking yeah. a couple of, financially it was just something that if he didn't and I think he chatted to manager's door and then there was discussions with Ross I think what happens here is alright you're disappointed that you lose Willow because they've looked to try to add him but I'm convinced that further along the line whether it be this year two years time when players are playing in Scottish football or down in England when they hear about how the club treated Willow I'm sure players will want to come and sign with Dunfermline because they're working for good people yeah because they showed some sort of integrity I guess and uh, Willow's getting on and everything like that the fact that he actually chapped the door to say look I've been offered this he's basically telling you look this is too good to be true and I don't know the ins and outs of figures or anything like that I just thought the way they'd done it was professional and as I say, it, it opens doors for other people coming in the future. Yeah. If you ever want figures, you just go on the internet. You just go on the internet. Ah, you know what that is. Make something up. <laughs> it was funny, you're, you're speaking about James Vincent and a good engine. He certainly did in the 2015 Scottish Cup final as well. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what happened in the 2015? We're, we're just going to have a pod one day and we're just going to put his goal on for the entire time. Uh, um, speaking of figures. Yeah, so this is really smooth. Speaking of figures, um, man's by accident. I see we, <laughs> I see we passed three thousand season tickets, which to me is incredible. Mm. It's fantastic. I mean, I, I guess that must give the, the, does that kind of thing filter through to the team? Do they, they get a boost for that? It does. It does. And I, I don't know if it's because I want to see it, and I'm looking for it, but I genuinely feel that I think the supporters and the players there's, there's a, a togetherness that probably. Drifted a wee bit in my spell. I'm, I'm no, you're right because it's a fan. It's more fans on. It's now, more, it's but it's all. I also think it's like football for a spell went through like the Bosman and things like that. Yeah. And everything. So it's hard to try and get a relationship. I can maybe come in and watch when I was like S form and that, and there was a right bond with with players and and that and. It works both ways because mm-hmm. trust me, when you're out in that pitch and you're not having a great game, and the fans start getting at you, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's difficult, and like it that help effect, it's like that. three or four years. But I've never, I was never one that shied from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's nothing better when you're getting beat and the fans are like getting behind you. And 
you know the cliche, the twelfth man, everything like that. <laughs> but it's an intimidating place when you come to East End, and the fans are right behind, and they're driving you on and that, and mm. then the players then think, do you know what? I'm going to try and get it someday again, or mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be aggressive and push the line as defenders so that we can try and play in opposition half. So when you talk about figures like that, you know, I just see that the clubs gradually, and that's when I spoke with Ross when, uh, about coming in for the role. From the outside looking in, I just see the club gradually making small steps, small baby steps up. Yeah, yeah. And yes, we, we want to try and get out of this league, but equally, you know, there's a way of getting out of the league that we can build rather than bang, we want to get there. And then if it doesn't happen, or even if it does happen, mm-hmm. you know, because I've looked at stuff and I was part of the Dunfermline team when probably it wasn't sustainable with the finances that were getting, but we finished fourth. Livingston done it yep. look what happened to Livingston they suffered financially because yep. of it Kilmarnock mm-hmm. so teams that have managed to get their sale up there mm-hmm. that are maybe in that sort of category where you're like, your crowds are like 5,000, 6,000 yeah. when they've had to push all of a sudden years after it they've really found it difficult to yeah. try and stay on their feet whereas I think at the moment when you're talking about that 3,000 it's, it's a credit to the way the club is at the moment but people want to put their hands in their pockets and it's a 3,000 you know you We've got to try and keep them happy. Mm-hmm. And that 3,000 then becomes 3,200. Can it become 3,500? Yeah, yeah. And then it, that community feeling for when I can mind Leishman when he was here in the 80s. And then there is a bond, and then as players are going off, and, you know, you're clapping. It's, there's emotion, there's, there's feelings there that we're all in this together. Sort yeah, of thing. definitely. It's, it's, it's kind of gone in waves with Dunfermline. When I was. Not like this young Stevie, but I was here. I was there. I remember the Leishman era as well. And then there was uh, obviously they got rid of Leishman, and then that <laughs> didn't go down particularly well. Mm-hmm. Got about with Bert Payton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Calderwood era was a, a strange one because, like you said, uh, there was maybe always an underlying feeling that wasn't quite sustainable, mm-hmm. but the results and the performance in the park kind of mm-hmm. you know, gave us all memories we'll, we'll, we'll cherish forever. And then obviously hit the fan there, and then it's just slowly come back up when you know we've, we've thankfully got out of. Well, no, out the financial trouble, you know what I mean. The club didn't go under when it looked yeah. like it was going to, yeah. and now it's very much. Well, you, t- you take the podcast for instance, you know, we're we literally sent an email off to Mike and said, We've not got a podcast, can we do it? And he mm-hmm. said, Well, let's come and have a meeting, have a chat about it. So, yeah, the door's open here, people yeah. can people can get involved and do whatever their skill set is. And folk might, you know, it's maybe isn't our skill set, but you know, <laughs> but, you know whatever it is, it builds relationship with you guys as well right. and, and then players you know because it can be a wee bit like with criticism players first and foremost you get a shield up because you think I'm going to get criticised right. yeah. and yeah because yeah. very rarely it's like you, oh, by the way you done that well usually people pick even if you have a good game they'll say oh why did you not do that there <laughs> do you know what I mean so that the rest of that human shield goes up and it's like deflector shield and but when you get to know people around about the club mm-hmm. and faces and that only happens when there's good relationships you know, and it might be businessmen putting money in their pocket to, to help fund the club and things like that. But mm-hmm. these guys come into the club, or they're up to get tickets or book hospitality and that, but they bump into the boy that are sponsored on their strip. And instead of, you know, that head down and that, there's actually a conversation, by the way, you weren't that good at the weekend. And the player mm-hmm. will turn and say, no, you were right, because there's, then a, there's a relationship there. Rather than walking by somebody and them going, by the way, you weren't great at the weekend, what means, by the way, he's such and such, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just... I just think it brings a feel-good factor to the place and it's something that doesn't just happen to luck. And I think the chairman, I genuinely do think the chairman leads it with the way that he treats people. Aye. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, in my time at Hearts, you know, Craig Levine was, was, was brilliant with us and his relationship with Anne Budge was, was really good. But the, we didn't have day-to-day with Anne. But every time you see her, she was just a right good people's person. Aye. And her skills, and win, lose, or draw, she was consistent, consistent all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what football players, they, they actually want that. You know, believe it or not, they, there's nothing better when you win a game 3 nothing and you get the emotions are high in that, but through the week, you're, you're wanting them to just try and keep that evil ke- even keel. Aye. Because mm-hmm. on the back end of their defeat, they won't treat you the same. You know, and it's, it's working with good people in your environment that brings up. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think we're I think we're building something. Uh, it's just it's just the momentum, isn't it? It's just keeping it going, keeping improving every year. The season tickets do seem to be going up every year. There seems to be more like you said, togetherness with fans and, and the players, and long may it last. The other thing I was going to talk about, Steve, is just I, I, I saw it. I 
can't think where I saw it. Some, it was either on the Paris website or somewhere else, but it was a Darren Wright testimonial. But I don't know much about but I think he was a Hellbeath player, is that right? Darren, I think he played 18 years service he gave to the club. Wow, which is 483 games. I, I looked oh, well done. Ah, 483 good. games for Hellbeath Hawes. Um, yeah. yeah, goals they score. Well, I think he was. Darren was more a defensive player, so <laughs> he, he, he worked his way worked his way back. I think, but, but yeah, that's, that's quite an achievement at, at any club. 400, 480 games. And was that a Paris Legends team he was playing? He was, and I think uh, Nipper had a wee bit of, to do with that in terms of organising it. Jason there took it on the day of the leash, um, but. Uh, Darren's now in the coaching side at Hillabeath with, with Bibby, Kevin Fotheringham, who I know from playing days as well. But he got a, a really good day. Um, day 1 4 2 in the day. Big West, he was in goals for us, the goalkeeper coach here. Because he, he had, I think he's the longest serving player at Hillabeath. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think Westy's happy that he never beat his tally <laughs> in the season. He still had a 20 minute sort of cameo appearance where he took, end up going in goals for Hillabeath. Instead of Dunfermline, but uh, he wasn't happy because he got a penalty in the second half. And Darren, obviously, being <laughs> as this, the big man, wasn't he for letting him score? <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't care if you're testimonial. It's a competitive <laughs> bit of waste, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the guys that day, Hamish, as always, Hamish comes along when he's asked things like that, and he's still getting about, even though he's, his knees aren't being as kind to him as he would talk, Bingy. Um, Nipper, Gary Mason, Jason Dare, um, Danny come along, Mark McCulloch, you know, faces that they, they think of their times at them, feeling that they want to come back and play in games like that because of the way they were treated. Yeah. So it was a good occasion, you know, he got a good day and a deserved uh, day as well because, as I say, 18 years is a, it's a, it's a fair stint. It is, it is a fair stint indeed. And who could still do a job? <laughs> Well, we have one. Do you know, son, everything, everything, every time we go to something like this, Gary Mason was one that we always felt that just, for some reason, he just decided that, that was him. Mm-hmm. Um, convinced it was because of the amount of running he used to do that he used to take years <laughs> off his legs anyway, and he just, but he, he just, they all say it, he wasn't enjoying it the way he should. So uh, Gary's an honest boy, and he wasn't just going to go and play with somebody for the sake of playing. It. But no, he Bingy can still play. Bingy's, you know, he's, Bingy's clever, intelligent, and sees things. But even I think he was saying it was a couple of years since he had tried to play a full Olympia eleven game, <laughs> and you know the aches and pains. Uh, Nipper can still play. Nipper sees things. He's he, he was light in his feet, and he can read a game. Uh, Jason struggles more. Jason's, <laughs> Jason's got the old calf one that he's got 20 minutes in him, and then he tries to get an R10, and then eventually it just goes. So he takes a bit of a ribbon for that. And Hamish is Hamish. Hamish just tries to give you what he can and, and probably goes that step further until you eventually peel him off. He lasted the 45 minutes. So, as I say, it's great catching up with you. John Watson. John Watson, another one who's been brilliant over the years since I've stepped away from the playing side. Like Winkers. You know, he's a club legend. Mm. Um, thought very highly, and the big man come on for, I think, half an hour or so. Uh, and Toddy, Toddy's another one. Just when you think, Toddy, come on. Should have gone to this game. This I know, that sounds good. As well, when you see Toddy, though, Toddy was one of them. Right, at half time, Leishman's trying to make a few subs and that, and so that everybody gets to play their part. And Toddy's saying to him, well, if you take me off, there's no danger I can go back on so Toddy in a way I don't know if it was clever because he ended up getting the 90 minutes out <laughs> but uh, Big Leash was the worst at it and he'll not like me saying this but he always has a pop at me anyway but so he's standing at half time and he's standing forever trying to get make sure that such and such is playing Marvin Andrews had come along and things like that as well so he's trying to get the boys that hadn't started anyway it sends out like you'll stay on you'll stay on like what 10 men Ten men, so I don't know how, how big he said to him, I don't know how you managed to be a manager. He says, because I had better players than you. <laughs> so but, I ended up going out with ten players, so I started second half, and Bingy had to come on for a ten minute spell. But nah, it's great when you, especially when it's somebody local as well. Eh? Mm-hmm. You know, Darren's well known through Hillabeath area yeah. and that, and you know, to get boys that are giving up their time to go to something like that says a lot for them. Okay, at least we had good assistance. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Probably 
Didn't give it to Leishman, he'll cut that for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, he signed me for it on an S form, so he's always got that one over me. Nice. So I, I think he knows his players anyway, Leishman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say nothing too bad about him. <laughs> I was actually walking up to the train station, he was in the public park with his full provost gear on. I don't know what he was <laughs> doing either. I, there was other folk around him, I used to know, he wasn't just hanging about the bandstand himself, but he was, I don't know what was going on. I didn't have time to stop and see. Uh, so, quick gear change, just going to about other issues in the football world. Uh, it's like the last decade now, but you know, the World Cup was still going on when we did the last podcast. World Cup was, it was good. Good World Cup. It was. Uh, Highly entertaining. We'd been better if I'd backed France, but last well. time we spoke, it was kind of the group stages when we spoke, and nobody even mentioned France. No, I went for Brazil, I think. I, I, I was Belgium took care of them. I had, a, I had an investment on Brazil, so I was kind of more out of hope than expectation, <laughs> but that one, that one went south. And uh, who was your pick, Jordan? I went for Germany. I think they just, I think they just had one game How in the group Germany at this point. Do? I, can't I think they get knocked out quite 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 I'm just setting you up there. I was going to say, Stevie, you're in a unique position with football because your your job's kind of public scrutiny, and there's you know people will openly criticise what you're doing. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm a financial advisor. There's no forum that I can go in and see how bad I am at my yeah. job or how good. But uh, <laughs> journalism's probably the other one that <laughs> everyone can just pile into journalists. Get stuck in. It's so, funny that though because. Um, I did fancy France. No, I fancied Brazil before the tournament started as well, I must say. But I think when you look back, France are sort of, would you say, dodgy? They got off to a slow start in the competition, but when you look at the teams they actually beat, yeah, I think yeah. they, they end up deserved. And you can't argue with them as, as worthy winners. And they beat them on 90 minutes. Yeah. And right. the, the thing with France, it was never the, it was never the talent on the pitch. It was... It was Maybe they didn't read the shunk with a coach or you know how they would net them all together, but they they grew into the tournament, so I thought it was fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other major talking point was the VAR, which in my opinion gave a pretty horrific decision. It was used to make a horrific penalty decision in the final, but anyone disagree with that? I would certainly agree with the final, I thought it was a shocking decision. See, the only one in the final, the only thing in the final though is watch it back. Um, is it Perisic? It, it's it may have been Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. It's that close that I can't see that he means it, but he didn't. If that's me in the World Cup final and that gets given against me, uh-huh. I'm going mental at the referee, right. yeah, whether it's yeah. going to VAR or not. And I actually thought he accepted it, so in my mm. head I'm going, does he actually think that he threw his hand up on purpose? Uh, possibly, yeah. I don't know. It's just something that caught my eye when I was watching it because I did, you know, and you heard them all talking, Ferdinand and that, how you might get your hand out of the way. Yeah. I think it, was, it was the way the ref looked at it. Started walking away and then thought, I'll have another look. Said, you, you're uh, not sure, you uh, can't get sure. this decision. But And it was the, yeah. it was only, I thought VAR worked better than I expected. Yeah, I, I thought it was wasn't. going to be every game there was going to be something, there was going to be five minutes, there were going to be you know, minute details and they were going to be making bad decisions. There was maybe two or three handballs given. Mm-hmm. But over the whole, I, I thought it worked quite well. I thought the, the worst part was decisions that weren't referred. There was one, oh, I can't remember who it was, now one of the smaller teams... Um, Peru, I think, should have had a penalty. There's an absolutely blatant shove mm-hmm. in the back. Mm-hmm. Wasn't referred. Game yeah. just goes on. That's it. And I, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm anti VAR. I don't I don't like the idea of it. Um, but though I will admit it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But um, yeah, I think I think it, it tended to favour the big teams. Oddly enough, Ronaldo versus Iran was one. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It was, it was either. Nothing or a red card, and they kind of came to the decision that was a yellow card for the good of the tournament. I think. <laughs> yeah. but, it still comes down to somebody's decision, though. Eh? Yeah. Like you're saying, they won the final. When he definitely, when he goes to take a couple of steps and he goes back and looks at the screen, yeah, you can tell it. He, he ain't sure. Yeah. He ain't sure. So he can't, a World Cup final. Surely he cannot give that. A th- it's a horrible sure. position for the referee to be in because he knows that everyone can see him watching. I think one of the well, two of the things that we touched on the last time was when it was in its infancy because it was just a couple of games in that. If a decision, if the referee goes to look at the VAR because he's been told in his ear, wait, now that should have been a penalty or something like that, he's highly unlikely not 
gonna turn around and say, No, I'm gonna stick with my decision after mm-hmm. watching it. Mm-hmm. If they're saying to him and he's here, you must go watch that, there's obviously yeah. something clear that he's they're missed. But then what loaded. we also said was that that's almost given the, the referees an a, a way for them to make poor decisions and get away with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just not, yeah. not make decisions. So then that would maybe, you know, not that that would maybe hamper games in terms of the referee being more reliant on other people to make the decisions yeah. for him or her. Well, I've, I've long thought that'll happen with linesmen as well, that they'll, they'll just not flag offside unless mm-hmm. it's absolutely certain. Yeah. Um, because they're safer not to. Mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Really? Aye. End up replaying minutes and minutes of games. But yeah, the game, how long does the game become then? Aye, it's not that often a ball is in play for minute after minute, you know, it's just... It's, it's, well, maybe I've been watching the film on too long. But. <laughs> <laughs> also brings the, my offside theory into. Oh, Stephen's much loved offside theory. Yeah, yeah. Steve will appreciate this being a centre forward. Okay. You can be offside, you can have every member of the opposition closer to the goal than you. Because it's, it's judged by the goal line, not the mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. So if like, you take a short corner, defence steps up. Offside, with 11 players closer mm-hmm. to the goal. Mm-hmm. So offside should be judged where you're actually closer to the goal than the goal line. So it would be kind of a. Talking semicircle. Ah, it would be a semicircle rather than a straight line. I'm way on that. I'm not convinced how easy to coach that. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. You would just not coach offside, mm-hmm. and it would, everyone would go to VAR. And if you know, if the striker's closer to the goal than the defender, it's offside. If he's not closer to the goal, game on. Because you can have a boy coming in for the wing. He's like a yard in front of a boy who's. Mm. In the middle of the field, and he's got further to travel, but he's still offside. Yeah, yeah. It's just when they get that VAR technology at Alawa and, and Berwick Rangers <laughs> and you know, so on. Ah, you know, technology moves on, no? You know, I we're living in the future. Like I was saying last week, I was watching World Cup games on iPads and trains, and that would never have happened years ago. So soon enough, enough they'll have it down at Montrose and are both. And but you know, I think sport and football, and especially football's a game of mistakes as well, isn't it? Yep. And part of that is a was. decision, and your linesman's Aye. decisions, and it's mistakes made by coaches, it's mistakes made by players. Yeah. I think that's the funny. We all like years gone by, and you go back to the pub after the games. By the way, what about his decision here? Aye, do you know what I mean? It's an actual yeah. talking point, and if you it's the human a part dangerous of the line, using technology to get every decision right, mm-hmm. like you say, linesmen end up not putting their flag up, referees will maybe be hesitant, and, and it becomes a game of, I don't want to be disrespectful to chess, but like, people end up going, is it worth coming here? So where's the excitement coming yeah. From, yeah. from in the game now? So I, I think it's great, the goal line technology to, on the watch and things like that. Will VAR... I think it can be worked in a maybe a slightly better way that mm-hmm. if there's decisions that are going to have an influence like the World Cup final they've got to be nailed and I think people go away and say right I accept that the game's going to get stopped or situations right. like that yeah. it's not all current but did you see it wasn't even last season it was the season before last I think Feyenoord had won the league in, in Holland and they were playing PSV did you, I don't know if you ever saw it no, just no. since we were watch no. it's, it's 10 minutes to go it's one each the PSV keeper saves the ball on the line Gets up, but his watch goes off, gives a goal. And what he's actually done, he's got it right in the line. And the process is getting up, he's brought to his chest. So for a second, it's gone over the line, and it's a goal. <laughs> and PSV are going utterly mental. Yeah. You know, he saved mm-hmm. the ball on the line, what's mm-hmm. happened? And he's going, well, the watch has said so, and it's right. But it's just something that would never, ever have been given. Yeah, it doesn't take us anywhere other than I was going to talk about European football. It's been quite an interesting. Smooth, uh, you know, you do your best. <laughs> it's been interesting summer because obviously Ronaldo at Juve went as under the radar as that could ever be because it was during the World Cup. But uh, Scott Messi was poor at the World Cup. But I'm sure he's still going to be good for Barcelona. But mm. apart from that goal, that goal against Nigeria was oh, I, I, just genius. Yeah, I know. I it's, you say poor in his terms. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. we go with the tournament just about. Man City looking strong, Mbappe just looks like an absolute monster, so PSG are going to be strong. So I was wondering if there will be a bit of a change in the guard at the top of European football this year, whether Barca and Real won't be quite as strong and, and City and PSG might fight it out for the Champions League, mm. or Liverpool even. I think I think Italian football, not not just with Ronaldo going to Juve, they seem to be they seem to be developing quite a lot. There have been a lot of players gone, gone to Italy, and I feel like they're going to make a bit of a challenge again after many years of not being, maybe not being top tier. 
I certainly Roma getting to the Champions League semi-final last year was mm-hmm. kind of out of the blue. Uh, so they, they got a bit of a shock at Anfield. <laughs> I've never seen Liverpool play before. And we'll <laughs> play a nice high line against these. <laughs> but uh, I, I, well, certainly Juventus are going to be strong. I yeah, don't, I don't yeah. know if there'll be anyone else. But I think European football is so difficult to call at the minute because at the time of recording we're, we're still kind of halfway through a transfer window for some countries mm-hmm. and not for others so with the English one shot and it'll benefit other Aye. countries and then it's kind of like I've heard this a bit a few times but it's like people want Hazard of Chelsea so if someone puts a bid in for him on transfer deadline day Chelsea can't replace him no, so then that, you know so it affects them and you just want nobody knows how it's going to affect any of the English teams in particular but it's just interesting they've obviously made this change and it might actually be to the detriment of them rather than for the better. So yeah. I think it's it's tough to try and gauge where teams are going to be until we kind of finish the transfer window because there's still a lot of rumours flying about in that uh-huh. sense. Yeah. So. Especially teams like Spurs and Man United who didn't really bring anyone in. No. Well, I mean, not no one. They got Fred and, and stuff. But yeah. Spurs got no one. Then. Spurs got no one at all, yeah. Because they spend all their money on the ground, they can't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing at Bertie there. I think he's gone from after this Jeremy thing. He's gone now. This is very difficult to predict. He's not going to make an odd prediction. I think when you look at it, Ronaldo, obviously, he's he's done it in England. He's, he's what else can he achieve at Real Madrid? He's still at a stage where he's you know physically he's still. You know, it's frightening Aye. the way he is, mm-hmm. the way his body and how he looks after himself. So, you know, I think he's just looking at saying, "Why we can't do it in Italy?" You know, Aye. and it would be like if he can do it in these countries. Yeah. Which I think, you know, he, he probably will. And you mentioned Messi being poor, and what I actually, I was really disappointed in Argentina. You know, for as much as Messi, you could say he was poor. I just felt their organisation didn't look like a team probably like Germany to a certain extent you know Germany didn't did they really look like they were pulling like a German side of what we've seen in the past mm. so was it Messi being poor or was it big impact was probably Argentina being poor so you know I think your Real Madrid's Juventus Barcelona's will be there I take your point with the England thing as well you know some of the clubs might lose players your Chelsea's possibly your Tottenham's if somebody comes in with big bids my night I actually think your Liverpool's and Man City will be the ones that will keep their players. Yeah, and yeah. They've added Liverpool's strength and immensely, I think. Liverpool They're going to be outside this year. Well, why if you're, a, if you're a footballer, why would you want to leave there? Mm. I mean, uh, I've seen Liverpool on, on Sunday, it just looks like fun to play in. It's a cater coming, it looked like he was like his 100th game for them. It just looked <laughs> like he'd been there for ages, eh? Do you think it has been their player for ages? Oh, it has, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good shout. So it'll be interesting. I'd, I'd quite like to see Liverpool, you know, be there again mm. in the final stages there because, um, you know, they were my team when I was younger as well. We have multi Scots playing. Yeah. But, um, no, I think they've been wise the way they've went about their transfer business and probably lost players. You know, they've lost their Suarez's mm. and that over the years and <laughs> Gerard retiring, Coutinho moving on. So, you know, I think we've got a, a really good clever manager and, you know, chief executive there that they, they're clever at building for the future as yeah, well. definitely. I would say the other thing as well is um, I heard a couple of days ago that there was a Barcelona player, I can't remember who, that had signed a new long-term deal and in his contract the release clause was £500 million. <laughs> Now, if you if you go on the premise that teams are going to put in silly release clauses like this, in two or three years' time are we going to get to a stage where nobody could buy any players? Yeah. I don't think a release clause has ever really meant much until PSG came along with a, you know, and just triggered Neymar's clause. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I don't you ever, no, probably will one day with inflation and all that, but I think they're just doing I mean, stupid numbers like mm-hmm. that just to make sure that they, they can't force their hand. Because mm-hmm. there was seemingly nothing Barcelona could do. And PSG came along with all their money and said, well, there, there's a bag of money on the table. I think you'll find that's his release clause and we'll be speaking to him. Mm-hmm. They couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. So if you've got you know, half a billion euros <laughs> in there, <laughs> even PSG probably aren't going to do that. They're probably going to negotiate. And then at least Barcelona maybe hold, uh, mm-hmm. they, they hold, they hold some cards at least. Mm-hmm. They, I just didn't. 200, 200 million, that would do it. Nobody's going to come and do that. Fine, <laughs> 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 that's... 
wait and see how long Neymar actually stays at PSG. Mm. That's the that's the next thing. <laughs> yeah. To see how long he stays in his feet. <laughs> uh, slightly more sobering figures was the the John McGinn saga, which looked like he was going to sell it. Mm. Looked like he was going to sell it. Looked like he was going to sell it. Then goes to Villa. He was a, a fan of smaller team in Scottish football I actually prefer the players going to you know try their luck down in England or, or abroad but uh, just wondering you know do we think he'll do well down there he always looked like he's a pretty solid player to me hopefully he'll progress there but it's a it's a tough league the championship you played in was Plymouth we were, I, I championship played in Plymouth and, but I think I think John's suited to that type mm-hmm. Um he enjoys the physicality side, he's full of energy, enthusiasm. Probably when I was looking at him when he was his earlier days was was his ball retention as good as it should have been. You know, mm-hmm. he was that eager to break forward, he'd turn up, he'd win the ball back and then probably give you it back just Aye. as quick at times. He's certainly improved in that aspect mm-hmm. and you know, I think he's you know, he's a clever boy in terms I don't know what stage he got to with Celtic, but uh, Steve Bruce, I think he's, when you look at Steve Bruce, what traits he looks for in a player, I think John, John McGinn fits him, so he's given himself a, a realistic chance of going and getting regular football, no guaranteed football, but regular football mm-hmm. at a right good mm-hmm. level with a team that just missed out in promotion last year, so yeah. I think it's a win-win for, for Hibs, that they're no strength in Celtic, but equally, you know... John to go down and potentially improve his his career as well so I, th- I thought it was a wise decision for right. him I was going to ask do you, do you ever do any training in that league especially with Plymouth you know well, it's just you must just be travelling and playing because <laughs> it's, it's Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday every week just about isn't it the Plymouth one was crazy we went up to Ipswich which is way across the country and you're Aye. thinking like when you look at it on the map it doesn't look that bad <laughs> but actually we had Ipswich on the Saturday and then we came back and then we went up with Preston on the Tuesday. Now, probably it was a wee bit naive of us. What we should have done as a club is went up Ipswich and probably stayed or worked our way up and then trained on the Sunday morning yeah. instead of coming back because the actual times that you were on the bus were, it was shocking, you know, and it's a, it's a big ask for, you know, it's something that maybe people don't look at. Right. But again, that's saying doing your homework and getting play but boys that are ready to have that mentality travelling on the bus mm-hmm. it brings it togetherness but you're right it probably shortens your time of what you actually get on the training ground oh, it's just, you know so it then goes down to your character your player recruitment so down to character of boys that you bring in especially like the league cup as well and FA cup and then if you're in the bottom two leagues you've mm. normally you've got your uh, what was the LDV vans I can't even remember Johnson's paint that might well be Johnson's paint no, checker trade checker trade sorry checker trade because that was something that me and Robbie experienced last year because again when we were at Harsh you had Harry Watt so in the main you can get double sessions if you want or the boys have got the gym there and the reality was that you had games basically Saturday Tuesdays so your time actually getting it's, it's patching boys up Aye. To then try, are they going to be fit for this game? Right, is he suspended? But and very rarely do you get a chance at the size of squads that we were working with, him, where you can say, right, we're going to put a structured session on to try and work on this, that, and the next thing. <laughs> and you're, you're spot on with that, and it's something that, like, you know, you never know somewhere down the line if you're in that situation again, or even that's experience you bring with you. Sometimes it is just making sure that you can put the players on the park, you know, and, and try to coach them in different ways. So. It's a big ask down there in England that you know these these players are doing that, and that's what your top European clubs people don't appreciate like the travelling that they do. Mm-hmm. They're away flying, playing a game, flying, and they'll say, "Oh, can you be that bad flying first class?" Aye, still flying. But you're still flying, and what mm-hmm. it actually takes out you. Um, there, that's me rattling on about trying to stick up for players again. But, <laughs> but you know, if they're getting expected to play at a top top level, you know, when do they train? It's more like looking after them. Pre season for big clubs now is ridiculous. They're in Australia, they're in the Middle East, and in America. You think no manager sat down and this is how we prepare mm. for the season. It's, mm. it's obviously driven by huge, huge wedges of cash. To be fair, they haven't got much money in English football. No. I mean, this, yeah, they're, they're just scraping by. Aye, aye. <laughs> I've, I've always thought that in the, the kind of the, the three kind of lower leagues in England, that uh, you try and pick winners at the start of the season, it's impossible to do. And it's just 
because it's so many games, it must just be a huge momentum thing. It's often you see teams that you know have a high points talent. It's just they seem to get in a roll and they just you know they can they can ride it out. And um, I've always thought it must be a lot to do with momentum and less to do with the actual time you can spend on the spend on the park because you don't realise actually how big I mean obviously Plymouth accentuates mm, it but mm. there's a lot of travelling down there compared to Scotland you yeah. know mm -hmm. and now there's a local derby there whereas yeah. you know it's a, it's a game in Glasgow to us like this. <laughs> it's just, just just a different mindset uh, just fill out, fill out the non-par section with it. I, unfortunately Celtic got uh, they're not knocked out of Europe they're, they're going to play in the, the Europa League so we've still got three representatives but uh, I thought there was kind of some Green shoots of recovery with Scottish football. Until last night, I don't think any team had been beaten in 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. I know we've not been playing some great sides, but there's still some half decent teams. Aberdeen, obviously, against Burnley was the was the headline. They did very, very well yeah, over the course of two well. games. On that, I think, you know, is there a frustration here with Brendan with Celtic at the moment that, you know, for the first time since I'm coming up, they're talking about the recruitment and what he's been allowed to bring in. Mm -hmm. You know, did he really want to bring McGinn in? That's that's obviously something we'll not be privy to. But right. um, you know, I, I read even this morning. I was just reading that he's talking about it's dangerous to stand still. Right. And what they achieved, you know, two years ago, and I thought they were exceptional. Last year they were to then go and replicate and do it again. Mm -hmm. Take my hat off to them. But sometimes it's a, it's a ruthless game, and he'll be what get boys to push. And it looks at the moment as if he's, you know, for the players that he's trying to bring in, he just maybe coming up against a brick wall at the moment. So I'm sure that that will be disappointing that Celtic haven't managed to qualify because I think they've done it every year since he's come in. Is that right? Uh, right, yeah. So, um, your other ones, you know, like the Europa League, from experience that we had at Hearts. It's a hard one because we come off a, end of a really hard season where the boys have given us a lot and they're getting 10 days off. Aye. Mm -hmm. you know, and I know we're wanting the sob stop bit then, so they get 10 days off that you then bring them back in to prepare for the European game that starts before even probably pre-season games or whatever. Yeah. And you're caught between preparing for a big game for the club and saying, do you know what, if we push him too hard too early, yeah. he's going to end up having them uh, injured towards the later stage of the season, or maybe even for a big spell of the season, so I think you know, I've watched Aberdeen, I think Derek McInnes does it great, I think over his experience and him and Tony Dock up there if you look at Aberdeen, and albeit they come up against sides and then, you know, they're not getting to the later stages of competition but I think he gets that balance right where he's competitive in these games mm -hmm. and, and usually gets results, but finances as well Honestly, see the against which in Scotland I think we're quite ignorant. You'll look at teams and go, surely financially Aberdeen are a bigger side. They're not. No, no. Mm -hmm. They're not. And you, if, you, if people do their homework and look in it, there's quite a big. It's a big gap Aye. between your Aberdeens and Hearts and Hibs probably what they're competing against with Molda and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these countries have sort of caught us up, and, and certainly they've overtook us financially as well. Mm -hmm. And. I just think, you know, the frustrations of if it was maybe in the middle of the season when we were buying at it, our players, maybe they would get to, the reality is, that's not the way European competition starts, so, you know, how do we how do we overcome that problem, I don't know. I was like, last year I was speaking about, was it St Johnson, I was trying, we were trying to arrange a meeting, and uh, he was saying, I can maybe do it in a week or so, but we've got pre-season and then we've got, we're playing Lithuania. It's like the end of June. Mm. We're playing track I think it was, and mm -hmm. <laughs> it totally caught me by surprise. But it was like it was obviously the very start of the tournament. But it's, yeah. it's June for God's sake. Yeah. You should be on holiday. Yeah. But aye, it's, it's uh, there's just so many, there's just so many rounds now. That, that's that's the problem. Going back to what you were saying about um, the differences between say like Hibs and Amolda or something. You obviously played in a, a couple of European ties for Dunfermline and. Against the Icelandic team, I'm not going to try and pronounce and uh, Haken in Sweden were you yes, at that point? Yes, so, yes, that game, yeah. So, like at that point, would you say that it was more disappointing for Scottish football than say now if Dunfermline were to come up against the teams now, would would it be less disappointing if, if you know what I'm trying no, to No, I know it's, it's when you're talking about that, you know, having been actually involved as a player in that game, we had the opportunity to go through. There's no doubts about that. We yeah. like it. Did we underperform or whatever? 
on a level keel with her hacking, I don't know at the time, but whether they were on more money or like as a club where they're bringing in generating more cash. Dunferman, looking at the two games, we should have went through We should have went through that. Yeah. The team could have, but you know, it doesn't lie that at that time we weren't, for whatever reason, we were not gelling as a team and playing to our, what you look on paper. We were playing to the, the levels we weren't, so that wasn't the problem then about the, the financial, you know, coming against a, a opposition like that at that time. And I don't think Aberdeen and Hearts, when I was there, you use that as an excuse. I'm not meaning that, I'm just saying that, like, sometimes it can be hard when it comes at you as quick and it's a massive game, it's a big game for supporters because, you know, especially like at the time of when was the last time they'd been in Europe and that, and mm. then all of a sudden it's like management team must look at it and go, how do we prepare for this game? Right. Or do we put all eggs in one basket? Prepare for that, yeah. And then, and the reality of modern day football, if you prepare for one game and it still doesn't go your way, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. So it's, it, it always comes down to it. It's the managers. You like, are we brave and we, we go for that, and then take the confidence from that that we go through. Um, so I'm not using that as an excuse saying that Scottish teams can't compete, but. Obviously, finances do help at that level and uh, allow them to get stronger squads and whatnot. That's it for part one of Black and White Noise with Stevie Crawford. Tune in soon for part two.